This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, it's the morning after the night before. It was the Times Radio Hustings. John Pienaar going toe-to-toe with Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. So on the podcast today, we'll bring you bang up to date. Maybe you listened to the whole thing. Maybe you only caught a couple of clips. Well, we bring you Pienaar Unpacked. No PMQs because we don't have a Prime Minister. So instead, Patrick Maguire joins me to analyse the key exchanges, what did we learn, particularly some movement, it seems, on from Liz Truss, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, tax and spend, uh, which will be interesting because that's another change for her. So that's coming up in just a moment on the podcast. Before that, though, we kick off with our columnist panel. No Alice Thompson today, so instead, Robert Crampton's joined by Laura Freeman. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, uh, no Alice Thompson today. We don't know where... Last week she was sitting on uh, hay bells. We don't know where yeah. she is this week. But Robert Crampton's here. Morning, Robert. Morning, again. Uh, nice to see you. And yeah. we've also got Laura Freeman. Morning, Laura. Morning. Are you sitting on a hay bell today? <laughs> no, I'm sitting on my bed because my flat is under dust sheets while we deal with um, damp coming through the ceiling. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so, yes, I'm down, I'm down to one room. <laughs> Blimey, Aranis. Blimey. Well, best of luck with that. I'm surprised there's any damp around at all. Yeah, exactly. You thought, <laughs> you should have been dried right out. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but anyway, well, uh, well, in fact, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about that. Because um, so there's been this phenomenon of autumn in August, Laura, where, where and I, I'd sort of dimly, until you said you wanted to discuss this, I, I hadn't really clocked how, how it is so obvious we're having autumn right now, whether it's, you know, brown leaves or... Blackberries or whatever. Yeah. Well, I, I, it struck me very much uh, last week when I was walking through Hyde Park, and it was quite a blustery day, and just in any leaves that were left on the trees were sort of blowing down, and it was very weird to have that kind of hot August sun, you know, not crisp autumn blue skies, but basically to have this kind of leaves crunching underfoot. And I know there's always a bit of kind of, you know, seasonal mishmash, you know, that you know you want to buy a kind of bikini and a caftan at this time of year and the shops are all full of anoraks and cashmere scarves. But I feel kind of this year, it, it's just kind of stranger than ever that we don't really know where we are. Have you clocked it, Robert? Yes, I have, because I live on a park and uh, so you can't not notice it. Uh, and I, it's the, it's it's connected to the water shortage, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the trees uh, are trying to save water, so 
getting rid of their leaves. That's what they get rid of their leaves. It's a natural thing to do. Yeah, and the leaves, if you notice, are just completely desiccated. I mean, they're 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 just crumble. They're, yeah, they're not like normal autumn leaves. No, you don't get all the like nice colours. We've gone no. straight to crunchy. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we're not getting the benefits of. Uh, I mean, it's very it's still very humid, and we're not getting as Laura says, we're not getting the benefit of nice kind of crisp autumn days. Which was it's it's. It's a mess. But then there's a knock-on effect then because basically um, the, I think it's Devon Wildlife Trust have been saying that, you know, animals that yeah. need nuts and berries, you know, there's less of them around. Yeah, they be around very, at the wrong, wrong time. It's a poor crop. I, yeah. I clocked, uh, when was it? I was, I was either walking the dog or going for a run and uh, there was a woman near me and she'd got one of those like litter picker grabbers. Mm-hmm. But she was using it to reach into a bush to pull a, a great big hanging bundle of blackberries That's closer cheating. to her. That's cheating. So that she could eat them. <laughs> That's cheating. I thought, that's planning ahead. Yeah, I'm not sure I approve of that. I, I say this with feeling as someone who's five foot three, but the ripest blackberries, they're always just that little bit out of reach. So I actually, I kind of quite like the idea of the litter picker. Yeah. Although the best blackberries are the ones, which, you know, you have to get a certain amount of scratches up your arms to you do to yeah. uh, to appreciate that. Um, yeah, it was yeah, be interesting. I, I imagine at some point we'll be told that you know that we've got a lower number of hedgehogs and all that sort of thing. Apparently, yeah, the full consequences will be revealed in the in the spring. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's just another example of the fact that global warming is not something that's in the future anymore, yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's right kind here. of it's yeah, right here. Right here. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about because we uh, it was slightly weird uh, partly because we were doing food week last week but we hadn't really talked about the show but Sanna Marin the Finnish Prime Minister has now apologised after two of her celebrity <laughs> friends would photograph topless behind the desk in her office mm. I mean part of me thinks I mean come on you're, you're not even doing this in lockdown you're not doing this <laughs> properly if you want a Prime Minister <laughs> making merry in your office um, but it's sort of weird isn't it because on the one hand She's had some criticism, but it feels like, as, a, as is quite often the case with her anger on Twitter story, there are far more people saying, why does everyone leave her alone than yeah. there are people not leaving her alone, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a leader about this on Saturday, the Times, uh, the Times uh, editorial. The Voice of the Times. The Voice of the Times, yeah. and the headline was Party on Sanna, so you know yeah. where we... You know where we stand. Uh, but now this, this, this next thing has uh, come out... Uh, they weren't this precisely topless. They were they they had a they had a, a sign over their chests which said Finland. Uh, I think I can't get worked up about this either. <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, I think she's. It seems that she's. It's a consequence of being friends with a couple of influencers, by the sound of it, who who are a bit, a little bit promiscuous in their Twitter, in their Instagram yeah, yeah. Uh, content, and maybe she needs to sort of rein them in a little bit. Uh, but uh, but. I'm not going to be censorious about it because yeah, yeah. It, 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 it frankly doesn't bother me. Lord, do you buy the idea that she's getting more criticism because she's a woman than I, if it was a man, he'd be sort of absolute lad? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worse than that. Not only is she a woman, she is a thin and pretty woman um, mm. who kind of can dance quite well. Um, and I think we're prepared to kind of slightly roll our eyes about, you know, Michael Gove in an Aberdeen nightclub and be a little bit indulgent of the dad dancing. But I think because Sana, you know, she's a little bit sexy, she's, you know, a bit fun and a bit naughty. That's, I think somehow it sort of, you know, pushes more buttons in a way. Um, I, I suppose maybe there was a bit, maybe there's a point of that. She's sort of doing it too well. She seems a bit yeah. glamorous <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. yeah, it's always weird, isn't it? Because actually, boys, if. If, if Bo- you could totally see Boris Johnson doing this, aside from the lockdown parties thing. Yeah. But he basically could. is. All the photos yeah. we've been seeing, yeah. he's having his holidays with his mates. Well, you, well, yeah, with his much younger mate, well, with his, with Carrie's mates, I yeah. think. Yeah. Who've been running the country up until now. Yes. 
Indeed. <laughs> it's almost like there might be a connection between. Yeah. If you hire a load of teenagers, you wouldn't trust to run Top Man. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm. I think. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm never sure with these outrage stories how many people are actually. Yeah, exactly. Being That's out, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Being it becomes a sort of. Cult. Uh, it becomes because, a culture war, yeah, which is entirely one-sided. With everyone yeah. saying, leave her alone! Yeah. And nobody's saying, she should resign! I can't see it. I mean, I look at all the below-the-line comments yeah. on that leader and also on the story today, and the Times readers are just pretty unmoved yeah, by, yeah. Uh, by this. You know, I mean... The, we always uh, say we want our leaders to be normal, Laura, well, and actually this is authentically <laughs> normal. You know, <laughs> normal thing, women you... of her age have fun. Um, well, I say this as, as a woman who's two years younger than, than Sana and who loathes going to parties, but <laughs> I, defend, I, def, I defend the right of others to go to parties and I will do so to the death. Um, but uh, I think I think it kind of plays into this whole thing. I think we're just really anti-fun at the moment. I mean, mm. every time you sort of do anything joyous, someone will say, well, don't you know there's a famine in Yemen and don't you know mm. there's a climate emergency? And don't you know the winter is coming and few bills are rising? And it's as if that mm. any kind of joy must be squished immediately because it's inappropriate mm. or out of place. Hey, this is a very puritanical time. I yeah. made the point in the leader about Churchill, who was who was uh, <laughs> sort of half sozzled on brandy and champagne throughout the war and giving dictation to female secretaries from his bed or his <laughs> bath, and it wouldn't have lasted a week, would he? In no. this current in this current culture, and he did he did okay. So you know, and actually, I mean, the, the, weirdly, last week we were doing the food week stuff, and I was doing the videos of me making mm. David Cameron's pasta and all that. A lot of people just thought it was funny, you know, the in Dave Gordon Brown. Well, you tried the Gordon Brown's Rob Woody thumbs, Yeah, right, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. uh, there was fried, a. Li I, I, I still got a few, a, like a handful of people on Twitter saying, "Oh, don't you know that people can't even afford to eat? Why are yeah. you mucking?" Well, yeah, I can assure you, none of the food went to wait. Well, some of the Rob Woody thumbs might have done, but all the rest of the food. Yeah, well, was it wasn't my doing. I would have. I was just going to take some away, but. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Uh, that sort of like, you know, uh, there's always people who are going to moan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, exactly. I write columns taking, making fun of myself, and then I get criticised for the precise thing. That I've been just been making, you know, <laughs> fun of myself about. Yeah. Uh, so, and you know, uh, social media is a, an, an enabler to uh, for people to do that. And it used to be more difficult in the past. You had to go yeah. and post a letter. <laughs> Let's go back to posting letters. Yes. Um, <laughs> although I enjoyed actually the tour of your hustings last night. The, the bloke when he was doing the introduction said you can still vote online or by post. Make sure you put a stamp on it, which yeah. I thought was, was yeah. a <laughs> ringing endorsement of yeah. the, the uh, abilities of Toy And then basically pointed out, oh, there are strikes this weekend as well, so, yeah. um, so maybe do it you, online. You probably can't vote by post. I wonder whose fault the strikes are. Um, mm -hmm. that, another thing, Laura, that, that I, uh, well, we should talk about this. So is it, not only is it very dry outside, we've talked a lot about water and hosepipe bands and all that sort of thing. I had no idea about another thing which is using up all the water. Well, yeah, this is fascinating. So apparently, you know, all around our major cities, there are these data centres where I don't really understand it, but all, all your data that's stored on a cloud is partly being stored, you know, in these big machines that have to be kept cool. Um, and they're using, you know, vast quantities of water. Um, and the, the issue is apparently they're using drinking water, which should be clean. And, you know, there's talk about could they use water that, you know, is not drinking water, that, you know, hasn't been filtered. It's incredibly wasteful. <laughs> And what's the water being used for? To keep the machines cool. Just so, literally cooling them. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think you know, rather like your fridge gets in incredibly mm. hot at the back. Yeah. Um, I think I think all electric electrical appliances can can heat it's up. It's like a car engine; you have to be water cooled or air cooled, yeah. doesn't yeah. it? And but they also because they also use phenomenal amounts of power as well. Well, yeah, if you yeah, cut yeah. down the yeah, if you cut down the water, then you have to you you have to turn up the fans, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is bizarre that first of all that they're using uh, drinking water. Yeah. And secondly, that they aren't just the water isn't just going around. 
you'd think it would just be the same water going around yeah. in a in a, a loop. Have, have thought, Do you know what I mean? Maybe we need to be all these data centers <laughs> near the sea. Yeah. Some, yeah. Well, there, there was a really intriguing story, I'm, I'm afraid, in a rival paper a couple of weeks ago, which was about siting these data centers next to leisure centers, because apparently the excess heat could be used to heat swimming pools. What a good um, idea. Which, which is a, and, and one of my great guilts is that I swim a couple of times a week at the local Nuffield Health Center, which is good for my back, but bad for the planet and my conscience. But I think <laughs> if, if my guilt could be assuaged by the fact that the local data center was heating the pool that I'm in there having my nice swim in, if that I, would be so much if, better. If that's all you You've got on your conscience, Laurie. You're, yeah, leading, yeah. you're leading a pretty blame-free life. <laughs> It'd be much worse if you're going wild swimming and banging on about it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like my chlorine and my shower often. Quite right too. Quite right too. But it's, it is interesting because there's this whole argument as well, isn't it, about um, how you know streaming and the internet just actually adds massively. We think oh, it's much better because we're yeah, you know, everything's online these days. Yeah. Uh, but it's still using we're not producing it, CDs yeah. and DVDs and yeah. VHSs. It's still, it's still producing enormous, yeah. enormous amounts of power. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise the extent of it. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wrote a piece last week for Times 2 on NFTs, those kind of artistic, non-fungible tokens. Um, and someone I was talking to was saying, you know, the kind of amount of energy that, you know, supports kind of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies that, with which you buy these NFTs is equivalent to sort of the annual output of, of a country like Finland. Um, so all this online stuff Finland. is incredibly, <laughs> back to Finland, yeah. incredibly energy hungry. Um, uh, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And I, well, more to the point, I still don't really understand what an NFT is. And I, I think I even <laughs> read your piece, Lord, because it was. Yeah, I, read I don't it understand too. why the art. Because I thought when it was like basically. Um, you know, the the sort of lad, lad, lad. You know, it's borderline. You know, the, basically go from like gaming to gambling to NFT. Mm -hmm. Fine. Yeah. I, that's not why we're. But we're not otherwise sensible, creative types. If you get rid of it, I sort of. I still don't really understand what the point of are. It's like hedge funds. Remember during the financial <laughs> crash, everyone yeah. everyone had to explain what a hedge fund was, and I'd yeah. always read them, and I still wouldn't really. The prob your problem is it doesn't <laughs> stick. There's some no. stuff that you you think that oh, I understand that perfectly well, and then five minutes later you don't. Yeah, yeah. Is this Bitcoin? I'm pleased about Bitcoin then, because I'd always thought it looks like a ripoff. Now it yeah. turns out it was. <laughs> it turns out it was a total waste of time. Bitcoin, yeah, 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 yeah. total waste. Just to, yeah. Um, on the subject of uh, the uh, Sadamau in the Finnish Prime Minister, it's nothing to do with her being a woman, says Stephen. You can't stay out to five a.m. and then do your work at nine. I beg to differ, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not doing it properly. <laughs> Need some more Jaeger bombs. Laura Freeman and Robert Crampton, then, of course, you can read Robert in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's Pinot Unpacked. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. Pinar, unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Yeah, so as you all probably know by now, unless you've been living under a stone, John Pienaar hosted the Times Radio Tory leadership hustings in Birmingham last night. So what we thought we'd do is unpack it. Normally with PMQs, we pause it live. We didn't do that last night because that would annoy everyone else listening to Times Radio if we started mucking about with it. Uh, but uh, we've got Patrick McGuire here, Times Red Box editor. Hello, Patrick. Afternoon, Matt. How are I, you? I don't think I've seen you since you covered the show in my absence. So no, no, it's been a long time. Well done for not breaking anything. And don't push that chair back and break that screen Thanks like they did the last well, time you were know. in here. Uh, yeah, we've they, had, we've they had don't to sack three assistant producers to try and replace that screen. So... <laughs> Uh, now, uh, what did you make overall of the debate um, uh, before we get into the sort of nitty-gritty? Well, as I think Danny Finkelstein and I both observed, watching it is by now sort of a slightly uncanny, slightly wearying experience because we've heard a lot of the lines before, but that's not to say it wasn't particularly revealing. Two things were revealing. One, what Liz Truss said about the NHS, and the second thing is Rishi Sunak, bizarrely for a man who's so far behind and is staring down the barrel of the end of his career in frontline politics, at least for the foreseeable future, it's like a man possessed. He <laughs> he speaks with a confidence and brio, which, yes, at once is a bit, um, you know, a bit Anthony Joshua at the end of his fight on Saturday night, or for political nerds, many of whom were listening to the show, a bit like Howard Dean, remember the uh, Democratic <laughs> contender for the US presidency in 2004, and he was sort of, uh, after he came third in a very early primary after b- being written off, he said, oh, we're going to go to West Virginia, and then started screaming, literally started screaming. <laughs> uh, there was an error of that. But Rishi Sunak, I think, is a man who's very confident that he will be vindicated, if not by the result, yeah. by how Liz Truss's premiership is likely to unfold. Uh, we'll dive in a moment to some of those policy uh, things. But, I mean, as we've been talking about this morning, well, we've had the news this morning, a 35-year-old man uh, has been arrested this morning in connection with that shooting in Liverpool in which uh, the nine-year-old Olivia pratt Corbell uh, dies. Uh, the 35-year-old man appears to be the, the target of the gunman. Uh, he's in hospital. He's been arrested for breaching his licence. But it's one of the, interesting, you know, because when, when you become Prime Minister, you're going to have to react to things that happen in the news and how you react will often come to define uh, your premiership. So both candidates were asked about... Uh, the, the killing of Olivia Pratt-Corbell and uh, the state of policing in the country. This is what Liz Truss had to say. First of all, my thoughts go out to the family and it's an absolutely appalling, appalling crime and appalling um, you know, murder, murder that, that took place in Liverpool. Yes, we do need to see more police on our streets. You know, we do, it's about recruiting more officers, but it's also about making sure those officers are focused on the crimes we care about and the public care about. I would introduce league tables so the public have a better way of looking at how their local force is performing. And you know, we need that change in the culture driven by you know, police and crime commissioners driven, driven from the top. Uh, and then this was what Rishi Sunak had to say, actually reflecting on the fact that his own daughter is also nine years old. I read it and I was, you know, I, call, I called my wife and, and spoke to my daughter, actually, is what I did when I found out about it earlier on uh, today. Um, and my, you know, my heart goes out to her family, as I'm sure it does from everybody here tonight, uh, about grappling with a loss like that. You know, what, you know, what can we do 
you know, government to try and prevent things like that from happening. Yes, it's about putting more police officers on the street and we've got a plan to do that. But it's also making sure... But more than that, I propose so far. Well, I, I mean, at the moment, we need to finish putting 20,000 more on the streets. But I think, actually, we need to make sure that they're focused on the right things and that we're using their time effectively and we're using the best techniques that are available to policing. It's interesting about you. They both use this sort of formulation of the, trying to suggest that the police, and a lot of it goes to this, all this lefty woke nonsense and all that, uh, but trying to suggest the police aren't focused on the crimes that we care about or the things, or the right things. Well, that's, that's a Tory tactic as old as time. It's like, um, you know, John Major or Margaret Thatcher running on a platform in, in 87 and 92 of saying, well, your police or your council officers are spending too much time you know, it's like Margaret Thatcher used to say this about the GLC all the time. You know, the reason your bins are overflowing is because the bin men are on basket weaving and yogurt knitting <laughs> courses. And that, that's exactly the same yeah, yeah. sort of thing you so hear. it's not that we need more police, although there's a, it, intrinsic in their promise of more police is reversing, as we were here, we heard from the Liverpool uh, Police and Crime Commission, the Merseyside Police and Crime Commission earlier. She said, we do need more officers. They took 1,400. We're getting some of them back, but we're still short of even getting back to where they were in 2010. And, and this is the thing. This is before Liz Truss or indeed Rishi Sunak, get onto their own priorities, and you speak to Tory MPs, particularly those who were elected for the first time in 2019, this is the first thing they'll tell you. They need to deliver what Boris Johnson promised, yeah. into, that tripartite promise, get Brexit done, uh, more money for the NHS, and 20,000 police on the streets. The second thing, just briefly, that I heard neither of them refer to, and it's very much odds or cuts across their tough-on-crime rhetoric, both of them have majored on that throughout the campaign, is what they're going to do about the barrister strike, this indefinite yeah, strike point. by criminal barristers. Because it's all very well and good saying we're going to be tough on crime, but people are already waiting two years, three years yeah. for criminal trials. And if barristers aren't taking on new work, then what's going to happen? Witnesses are going to pull out of cases. Yeah, Trials are going to collapse. Lots of crimes won't come to trial. And actually what you end up with is uh, a, lot of a lot of innocent people end up in prison on remand for a very long time mm. waiting for their cases. And a lot of guilty people end up walking the streets awaiting a chart. You know, so that, you know, it cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. It's an interesting point you make about that. Uh, but let's dive in because clearly one of the biggest issues, I mean, the biggest issue uh, facing the country right now is the cost of living. Uh, front page stories this week, 18% interest rates by next year some, on some predictions. But Liz Truss having been criticised by Rishi Sunak on this programme uh, when she told me she was neglecting pensioners. Remember, he said that uh, in particular she was just ignoring pensioners. It was interesting, this is what Liz just said when she, she now, without giving any specifics, committed to helping them. Now, of course, in any fiscal event, a Chancellor has to look at you know, people on fixed incomes. And I've already committed to the triple lock for pensioners. I've already committed to a temporary moratorium on the green energy levy, which would take money off everybody's fuel bills. But as you rightly say, you know, we are not going to sit here today, John, and write write the budget but what i fear has been missing from the economic discourse is first of all dealing with growth okay, and well, getting well, growth well, going because well, without well, growth we are in an even worse position interesting that saying that the people on fixed incomes would get some help she's also a bit later on they're talking about the nhs one of the liz Truss's big commitments has been to reverse the national insurance rise which she soon put in place uh, to raise extra money for the NHS and then later for social care. Well, our very own John Pienaar asked her whether if you, if you scrap the national insurance rise, that means there's no money for social care. So I, I still would spend the money. I would just take it out of general taxation rather than raising national insurance. But I would spend that money in social care. The fact is quite a lot of it has gone into the NHS. 
I believe it should go to local authorities to deal with the very real issues in social care because the problem we've got at the moment is people are in beds in the NHS who would be better off in social care beds. So put the money into social care, free up more space in the National Health Service and empower the front line in the National Health Service because there are still too many central diktats going to the front line. People on the front line feel disempowered. You know, we're seeing increasing numbers of people leaving the profession. So those are the issues we need to deal with. Two quick takeaways from that, Patrick. Saying, of course, in any fiscal event, notably not an emergency budget, a Chancellor has to think about people on fixed incomes. But that clearly wasn't what she was planning to do, because originally she said no handouts, it was all about tax cuts. And, and also, look at, that, look at that language. The specific question John Pienaar asked was, do you commit to shielding them from the increase in the energy price cap? That's quite a specific answer. He was essentially asking her, will you at least match what Keir Starmer is proposing yeah, yeah. to do? She said, I'm going to look at helping them. That is not the same yeah. as wiping out the the brunt of the impact, right? She's committing to the principle of help. We have no detail about what she's going to propose. And then on the national insurance rise, I mean, it's essentially economic gobbledygook, this, that she says she's going to cut the national insurance rise, that was going to raise the extra money for the NHS. So the rise is going to go ahead, but she's going to fund it anyway, out of general taxation, even though she's also committed to cutting the amount you raise from general taxation, but to give people tax cuts. In fairness to Liz Truss, the principle she identifies, which is that the health and social care levy should be going to social care, that's the entire yeah, point yeah. of this manifesto busting tax rise, that's fair enough. But that was the point of levying an additional yeah. how many points on national insurance Because it, it comes from back in the days of the pandemic where we want suddenly realised, blimey, social care's a mess, isn't it? Maybe yeah. we should do something for that. There was some public willingness towards it. So she's essentially saying, well, no, that well, it's not right to use the social care levy for yeah. the NHS backlog. So I'm going to spend that 13 billion, but I'm also cutting the tax that the 13 billion is coming from. Oh, and by the way, I'm also, of course, going to spend to clear the NHS backlog. Well, where's that money coming from? Either you're going to introduce swinging cuts to public services, which, in fairness, Margaret Thatcher, her idol, did, but she was she was always honest about that. She said yeah. the country needs a short shot shock of monetarist medicine. Yeah. Uh, you know, or you're going to borrow loads, which she's not being honest about. Well, there we are. So that's uh, Liz Truss's economic plans. Let's turn then to Rishi Sunak. He said, I mean, this is this is the strongest I think he's been on Liz Truss's plans, that he thinks that Liz Truss's plans will see the Tories lose the next election. Let's take a listen. If I don't win this, and that's the plan that we carry on with as a party, millions of people are going to face the risk of destitution this winter. Literally millions. And if we don't do anything to avert that... I think it will be a moral failure of the Conservative government, and I don't think the British people would ever forgive us. And if I'm Prime Minister, I will not let that happen. That's pretty strong. I mean, for a former Chancellor who sat around a cabinet table with Liz Truss to say, you are going to plunge millions of people into destitution. I mean, literally weeks before that's going to happen. Yeah, it is. And that's Rishi Sunak's big yeah. pitch, the membership. I was the man who presented that happening during COVID. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's telling, by the way, that Liz Truss has grown in confidence mm. on every subject apart from the economy where she seemed cagey, she seemed evasive, she was imprecise, she was palpably uneasy when asked to flesh out the specifics in a way that Rishi Sunak was more than happy to attack that on the front foot. Yeah. Well, Lee, uh, something you mentioned, Margaret Thatcher, a minute ago. Uh, his, her name was dropped a lot uh, last night. 
Uh, Liz Truss, who, let's not forget, has uh, worn the, the fashion of the 1980s. She literally wore a tank at one point. But anyway, she tried to play it all down. Apparently, the comparisons between her and Margaret Thatcher are all, all just n nonsense. You have invited, haven't you, comparisons with Margaret Thatcher in, in no, many I, ways. No, I haven't invited them. The media constantly go on about it. And look... But you you know, I believe you welcome the comparison. Because, as because frankly... Every woman in politics gets compared to Theresa May or Margaret Thatcher because there haven't been as many women leaders as men leaders. <laughs> Literally more of a tank. I know. She went out of a tank. She went to Estonia for the sole purpose the of being purpose of a tank. compared to Margaret Thatcher. Went to Moscow, wore a big hat. Anyway, uh, Rishi Sunak then, uh, you know, got in on the act of uh, name-dropping uh, Margaret Thatcher as well. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk in this leadership election about Margaret Thatcher and, you know, and rightly so, because she's our greatest post-war prime minister. But I reflect on it and I think, well, what, you know, what actually was Margaret Thatcher's most important legacy? Why is it that she's so revered? Now, you could say, well, it's because she took on the unions, because of her economic reforms, because she spread home ownership far and wide. Now, all those things were important, but I don't actually think that's why she's revered. I think it's because of her character. And she was prepared always to take difficult decisions. She was prepared to say the things that might be difficult that the country needed to hear. She wasn't prepared ever to make a promise that she couldn't keep. That's what I think Margaret Thatcher was about, and that's a standard that I hold myself to. I'm Margaret Thatcher. No, I'm, I'm not Margaret Thatcher. Stop saying I'm Margaret Thatcher, but I am Margaret Thatcher. No, I'm Margaret Thatcher. Uh, and there's a reason why. Uh, I think that the more opposite comparison for both of them at this point in the race, is Ted Heath. You had Paul Johnson from the IFS... Yeah, that's a good point. ..saying Liz Truss's policy, her likely policy of borrowing lots and slashing tax is more redolent of Heath in those years of stagnation in the early 70s. And Rishi Sunak is starting to sound like, just like Ted Heath, a man who is absolutely sure his female rival is going to self-implode. And I think he sounds like a man who isn't going to flounce off to California. He's going to sit on the back benches yeah. and he is going to take great pleasure in every stumble... Liz Truss makes, especially on the economy, because he's now sitting there prophesizing it. That's the point of all yeah, these yeah, strident yeah. interventions at this it's point. We had this conversation. Your friend of mine, Henry Stephan, was on earlier in the week, and we were talking about what Rishi Sunak might do next. And I said, look, he could, he could sit, wait for her to lose the next election, become leader of the, of the Conservative Party in opposition. He could still be Prime Minister before he's 50, because mm. he's so, you know, if he's in the long-term game... It's not impossible. Anyway, we'll continue unpacking. It's Pinar Unpacked. It's John Pinar's uh, efforts to try and get... Uh, Get some sense out of Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak at last night's Times Radio Tory leadership hustings. We'll do some more of that after this. We're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! <laughs> So, so Rishi Sunak is somewhere between that. And remember that line from The Office where Brent is reeling off, you know, Dinkert, Yately, yeah. Winnersh. Winnersh. Yeah, yeah. Rishi Sunak is between Wait. those two stools. Well, in fact, in his video, we'll talk about his video in a minute, that, it had a whole list of, like, market towns. That <laughs> yeah, he yeah, yeah. That was obviously uh, Howard Dean there uh, claiming he was going to march on the White House. It's Matt Johnny, still joined by Patrick McGuire, Times Red Box editor. We're doing Pinar Unpacked, unpacking last night's Tory leadership hustings, hosted by Times Radio with uh, John, our very own John Pinar acting as ringmaster. And perhaps one of the most telling, apart from the economic stuff, in terms of, you know, needling out a new news line from a couple of people who've been pretty determined not to, uh, was John Pienaar asking Liz Truss about appointing a new ethics advisor, given that Boris Johnson's 
well, he lost two of them and didn't bother replacing the second one. Uh, he asked Liz Truss if she, if she would appoint a new ethics advisor to restore trust in politics. Well, I do think there need to be proper whistleblowing procedures. You know, I would put in place, if I was elected as Prime Minister, a strong chief whip. I would return them to number 12 Downing Street. So they, they are at the heart of government and making sure that there is zero tolerance for misbehaviour. What about the ethics advisor, Liz? But I do think one of the problems we've got in this, in this country and the way we approach things is, you know, we have numerous advisors and independent bodies and rules and regulations. For me, it's about understanding the difference between right and wrong. And I'm somebody who has always acted with integrity. I have always you know, been clear about what I will do and followed through on my promises and been honest about the situation. And that is what I would do as Prime Minister. And I don't think you can outsource the ethics. No. <laughs> yes, John points out, the answer there is no. But at least the Chief Whip's on the move. Danish, number 10, 12, Downing Street. Yeah, Therese, it, 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 so Therese Coffee will be, uh, and her karaoke <laughs> machine will be an easy reach. Shades of, uh, you know, something a bit Nixonian. Yeah. About that. You know, it's not unethical. You know, as he said, it's not illegal if the president does it. And yeah. Liz Truss's stance there is it can't be unethical if the prime minister does it. And by the way, I'm, I'm culture set from the top and don't worry, I'm proper ethical. I'm, I'm proper ethical, me, so I don't need an ethics advisor. I mean, the main point, actually, the ethics advisor is to advise the prime minister about the ethics of other people. You know, ministers who break the code and all that sort of stuff. It's not just, you know, it's not like saying that the prime minister doesn't have, we assume the Prime Minister's got ethics. It's, yeah. to, it's to advise on other matters of propriety. And the Common Standards Committee has recommended, uh, and the committee, sorry, and the Committee on Standards in Public Life have recommended mm. that, that the ethics advisor, and this is what John Pienaar asked, should be given the power to initiate investigations by themselves, not having to go cap in hand to so the Prime Minister. So if a story comes out saying a min ex-minister you know, took some money from someone they shouldn't have done, yeah. the advisor should be able to launch their own investigation rather than wait for the Prime Minister to ask. Or say, for instance, the Foreign Secretary, whoever that may be, uh, hosted a load of events at a Tory donors club, wooing MPs uh, for their leadership campaign without necessarily declaring where that hospitality might have come from. And so you say, for example, they, they, for example <laughs> just to pluck an example out of thin air, and the Independent Ethics Advisor, the St uh, Committee on Public Standards in Public Life, thinks should be able to in go uh, do that without, say, having to go to the Prime Minister, who may have, been foreign may have been the Foreign Secretary in question. And I'm um, curiously, Liz Truss didn't. Answer that. No, it's interesting. That I mean, for the sake of uh, completeness, which this is what uh, Richie Sunak had to say on the subject. Yeah, I've said already very clearly that I would reappoint the independent advisor on With ethics, that power. and I would make sure that they have the powers and responsibilities to hold people to account. But look, I, obviously, it gets set by the leader, and I would set an example. Uh, that was uh, Richie Sunak saying he would uh, appoint. But let's be honest. According to the polls, Richie Sunak is well behind. Uh, but he, he, no, he's 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 like a. In fact, let's, let's can we have his video next? So this was, I'd not seen this before. Partly because I'd not sat through all of these. I think this has had a couple of outings at it was, previous. It was de it was debuted and uh, de had its debut last week. Uh, so this is Rishi Sunak's uh, video. It had all these sort of towns, winners, uh, <laughs> Reading, Taunton, sort of flashed up. Uh, this is his video insisting the underdog can still come through. Underdogs don't give up. They'll do the difficult things, and they never, ever get complacent. So, right them off, if you like. Sit back and dismiss so, them. <laughs> apart from whichever uh, Ray Winston impressionist they managed to get on the cheap, uh, what, um, is he realistic? He's not going to win this, is he? Or is he? I mean, there is part of me that thinks it would be absolutely hilarious if he won. 
it will be a disaster for the polling industry, I have to say yeah. that. And it will be a disaster for the uh, several <laughs> esteemed cabinet ministers who have made the unseemly jump from one camp yeah. to another. Look, you do speak to Tory MPs who've been at these hustings. You do speak to backers of Rishi Sunak. There is a touch of the Mandy Rice Davis. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Who said he's much closer? And that raised an interesting question. Let's assume Liz Truss is going to win, but she wins by a much narrower margin. She yeah. doesn't win by 80% to 20%, or, or even Boris Johnson's margin of 66 to, just over 66 to 33. Say she wins 55-45. Yeah. Which is possible because the polling, when Boris Johnson won in 2019, put overestimated mm. his margin by about 10 points. I think it was said he was going to win with a sort of 75-76 and he ended up with 66. Liz Truss is polling at 66. If it's 10 points out again, she's only at 56. And that That's raises... not a ringing endorsement, a mandate. And she her. and she hasn't had a ringing endorsement for MPs. Boris Johnson won the support of well over half of Tory MPs yeah. in 2019. If Liz Truss is coming in with the support of about a third of Tory MPs and a clear but not entirely convincing victory in the membership, and you've already got Rishi Sunak inviting yeah. questions as to whether he's going to vote through her fiscal event, and you've got a very rested parliamentary party, and she's going to make a load of messy compromises that cut against her leadership platform. That's not going to do wonders for her authority in a very difficult winter, is it? No. Uh, it's uh, It'll be really interesting to see. And, I mean, clearly, you know, the polls so far have been pretty consistent. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll find out on September the 5th. Uh, well, the, in fact, we'll, bring the, we'll be bringing that to you live. It'll be 12.30 on September the 5th. We'll bring you the results. Well, uh, one final thing, Patrick, I wanted to discuss with you on the key question of animals. I mean, I think you can divide people into cat people and dog people. And we got a very clear sense of what was going on last night. This was Liz Truss. I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of mice, I have to say. I'm sure and there are a later in the House of Commons, and I, I think we should have more cats. More cats. <laughs> more cats. More cats is the answer. Richard, and I'm very pleased there is a cat at number 10. So if I do become Prime Minister, at least I'll be mice-free. Yet another unfunded spending commitment for Liz Truss there. <laughs> more, more cats are the answer. Maybe they can um, join the police. Maybe they can renovate the commons while they're there. And then uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, when, when talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol of all things, came down the side of dog owners. If you want to go camping and you can't take your dog on holiday, right, or if you're a British supermarket and it's like, hang on, I can't sell my sandwiches in every part of the United Kingdom, those are the kind of practical things we're talking about. No one needs to have a trade war to resolve practical things like that. That's completely ridiculous. It's the cats and dogs is what matters. Uh, what do you think uh, happens now over the next couple of weeks? Because there's a lot of focus on what Liz Truss does, the extent to which she's gearing up. There seem to be some tensions already in her team of supporters as to what she should do on day one when it comes to cost of living. Well, I think Liz, the question Liz Truss is going to face again and again and again is what are you going to do on the cost of living, both for very poorest and for middle-income families, and how quickly is it going to happen? Um, I think the story in this morning's Times... Uh, about, uh, oh, sorry, in this morning's Financial Times and also in the Times about the plan for a 100 billion two-year freeze on energy bills. I think that's going to rear its head again and again and again. Um, and that's the only question now that matters for Liz Truss. For Rishi Sunak, I think we're going to see him make these arguments with similar panache. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's all, it's now, he's now thinking about the post-defeat post Era of Rishi Sunak, which I mean, I agree with you. I think he, I think he'll hang around. Which well, means look, then I said that about David Cameron. Well, I'll be discussing because he told I... me, and then he ended up resigning. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, ten till one on Times Radio, and we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.